Andy Bush here with your Hometime Show podcast. And can you believe it? This is the, the thing I don't like about nice weather. I don't want to be like a Debbie Downer right at the start of this podcast. But what happens is people start having uh, barbecues and that, which means I'm working upstairs here, absolutely starving. And someone's obviously barbecuing down the road. I've got the whole Bisto thing, you know, a little whiff going under your nose. Uh, and I'm, I'm salivating as a result of it. Weirdly enough, there's a bit in this show you're about to hear where we talk about things that was normal in your life when you were a kid that kids now wouldn't understand. Would they understand the whole thing about the Bisto whiff going under your nose? Or would they wonder what the hell you were talking about? And it was a big advert for me when I was a kid in the 80s, but I don't know whether kids now would know what the hell that was. Much to discuss, so let's get on with it. Here's the show. I just wanted to start with a question. Do you ever feel like you've been left out? Been left out of the club, fear of missing out, all that kind of stuff. Let me explain. I popped to the shops first thing this morning, and I kid you not, everyone I saw had a flipping jet wash. Couldn't move for jet washes. It was unbelievable. It was like a theme park. Spray everywhere. A bloke doing his patio on our street. A lady washing her, her car's wheels just around the corner. Specky bloke doing his driveway with someone on his back. It looked like Venkman off of Ghostbusters. Genuinely think I'm the I'm the only person. We are the only family, maybe in Leon C, maybe in Essex, that doesn't have a jet washer. Is it some kind of like uh, lockdown purchase that people have got? Like Jolene has just tweeted, no jet wash here. They do look fun though, and she adds quite intriguingly, hashtag lockdown goals. So answer me this question: Am I the only person that hasn't got one? And if you are in the jet wash club, what's it like? Louise Barnes says, no, I don't own one either. I use a bucket and sponge, old school. Uh, Jason says it's therapy bush it's the best did our garden ready for guests at the weekend best old man purchase ever he's included an amazing photo of his back lawn which looks very nice and a King Charles Cavalier Spaniel lording it up right in the centre of his lawn they're living the dream over there although Colin has made a really interesting point do you remember about two or three weeks ago uh, I mentioned that a uh, choose my words carefully here that a fox had done its business literally right in the middle of my doorstep. Do you remember that? Like a warning? Like some kind of fox mafia warning. He says the fox that does his business on your path will see me getting a jet washer purchase as an escalation of tensions. I don't want to start some kind of arms race. Do you know what I mean? Pricey from Chesterfield says, Bush, at the tender age of 50, uh, a jet washer is the right of passage into the age of maturity. And I like blasting rude signs on the patio slabs to annoy my missus. Thanks for that, mate. Uh, Brad, <laughs> Brad says, I just bought my first jet washer last weekend. I blasted everything. The fence, conservatory, patio cars. I can't believe I've never owned one before. You need one in your life. Although Danny in Chichester does sound a note of caution. He says, I love my jet washer, but it's so easy to get carried away. I only planned on doing the patio, but five hours later, I've done the fence, the decking, our windows, the car, the pavement, <laughs> next door's cat, and I still wanted to find but, uh, more stuff, but my arms were getting numb. Absolute Radio. They asked for a podcast. We told them to do it themselves. And here it is, the Hometime Podcast with Bush and Richie. Well, listen, a new book is in the works about a TV show that has a very special place in my heart. Uh, talking about Games Master, it was the coolest and best video games TV show, ruled the airwaves back in the 90s. And we've got the host and the legend that is Dominic Diamond on the show right now to talk to us a bit more about it. Dominic, good to have you on board. How are you doing? I am very good, Bush. Thank you very much for having me. So we're hearing a bit of a mini heatwave going on in the United Kingdom, but where are you actually talking to me from via the powers of the internet right now? 
I am in uh, Calgary in Canada, which if anybody ever watched the Game of Thrones, it's what it's like north of the wall most of the time. It's uh, it's snowbound for about 10 months of the year. It gets down to like minus 45 with oh. wind chill, but it's a, it's a pleasant enough day today. I'm not complaining. Wow, just going to the corner shop for you must be like the Shackleton expedition. <laughs> it is. I might be some time. Dot, dot, Darling, dot. I might be some time. <laughs> oh, well, listen, Dominic, it's amazing to have you on. Let's just start by talking about Games Master. It was huge when I was growing up. But for people who aren't aware of it or familiar with it as a TV show, can you sum up what it was? It was the, the the first TV show that really featured video games as a way of providing entertainment and humour. And it started in 1992, ran for seven series, strode the 90s like a colossus. Uh, <laughs> and um, we had celebrity guests on playing video game challenges. We had news reviews. It was a, a fantastic way of spending the 90s for anyone in their 20s. Do you know, in the 90s, there's something about the 90s that, that, that works so well with the show. Show, like you say, 92. It was about the timing. It was Britpop. Computers had taken kind of the next big step graphically with, you know, PlayStation and Super Nintendo and Amiga and all that kind of thing. Do you think it's something to do with the timing of that era as well? Why it worked so well? Games Master was such a success. I think it, for, for my age, it was our uh, 60s. It was a decade of unbelievable optimism and hope and creativity. And it, it wasn't just uh, Games Master. On, on t Channel 4, you, you you had The Word, you had The Big Breakfast, you had TFI yeah. Friday. It was a, an amazing area of kind of televisual creativity where TV bosses just let TV shows get on with it without interfering too much. And that was the same, you know, with, with, with music and with video games. It was a kind of a, a three-pronged, wonderful cultural wave that, uh, that I was lucky enough to be a, a part of. And so in terms of getting involved with the show, and sometimes you, you hear about people who've got involved with someone as an accident or uh, it was, you know, just by chance. Or how did you get involved being the host as Games Master? Well, I got involved by failing to become the host of another show. I auditioned for The Word when they, they it was the first time that an open audition had been held for a presenter in UK TV. And I was uh, working as a, as a very, very poor stand-up uh, in the Bristol area at the time. And so I auditioned for that. They, they had like 18,000 people audition. I got to the last 12 and then uh, didn't get any further and my heart was broken. And then one day I got a call from this person that said, oh, we're doing this show called Games Master. We are down the road from the company that did the word. We're very lazy. So we just went up to them and said, oh, is there anyone you know that might be good for this show? And someone was like, oh, yeah, there was a that guy had glasses. He'll work for computer <laughs> games. And so I auditioned for Games Master in this tiny little church in the middle of uh, the east end of London. And, and luckily enough, I was second time lucky for me in, in terms of the TV audition stakes. Well, that's so interesting. I never knew that because, I mean, they were two kind of, for me, when I was growing up, like stand standout landmark programs that kind of shaped me. Games Master for, you know, a big computer games fan, loved all that kind of stuff, and it was irreverent and brilliant. And the word had the same kind of vibe. I mean, you guys, what you did on Games Master, the way the audience was involved was kind of, it's been emulated to the present day with the way that Top Gear has its, you know, the audience stood around. And I remember you had an amazing set with Games Master where people were like leaning over the, the, the pews and stuff of the church and everything. There was nothing yeah. quite like it at the time, was there? 
Well, no, what we did, uh, and again, we were very lucky that we were allowed to do this, was that we decided that because video games had different levels that you would go through, that every series of Games Master would take place in an entirely different world, so it would be a different level each time. So we had the church, yeah. then we had uh, the oil rig, then there was a prison, and then heaven, and Atlantis, and a desert island. So it was it was really good. What I think the comparison between Games Master and The Word is, is for me as a, as a fan of The Word, was that they were both shows that you never really knew what was going to happen next each week yeah. and I think that, that that was again something about the 90s with everything we never really knew what was going to happen next in the 90s but it was going to be fun and you know what in researching ahead of chatting to you tonight on the show I've just been looking back at some of the not only the pictures from the book uh, but also yeah. just some pictures of Games Master as well and you forget what an amazing time that was and what a, an amazing kind of on the edge show it was I mean let's talk about the book uh, Games Master The Oral History it's a fantastic looking thing that people can buy what's it all about and what's caused you to, to do this all these years after well the first thing about the book is it's posh uh, I, uh, it's like a gloriously produced hardback thing with silver foil writing I never thought I'd be involved in anything quite so classy in, in my career um, basically the there was a, the original Games Master super fan was a guy called Jack, and he had the first ever website dedicated to the show. So he kind of started off as a stalker for me and never went away. And over the ensuing 30 years, we've become really good friends. And it's the 30th anniversary of oh. the show in January. So he really wanted to do something to market. And he came up with the idea of this book. And, and he, he did most of the legwork. He got in touch with almost every single person that worked on the show as a producer producer, director, runner. He got in touch with tons of the celebrity guests to, to just to say what they remembered about it. And as a result, we've got this fantastic story, these incredible behind the scenes details, not just about the fun and the adventures we got up to, but also things like how we created the graphics, how we came up with the music. It really is. It's a, it's, it's a veritable kind of encyclopedic Bible of everything you could possibly want to know about the show. And then threaded through it is, is, is me linking everyone else's memories and also telling the story of what it was like for me in the 90s to go from complete obscurity, sharing a bedroom with my brother in my mum's house, to being <laughs> the presenter of this big new TV show that featured this incredible new industry called video games. And it was an unbelievable life change for me, which um, I didn't handle completely well at the time, but it was certainly, it was not boring. Well, I mean, the book itself is, like you say, a gorgeous thing. It's on Kickstarter at the moment. What I love about Kickstarter is that someone can have an amazing idea and then loads of people can, you know, pitch in money to buy different tiers of the book in terms of you can just get the book on its on its own. You can get one that's signed by you. T tell us a little bit about the different levels that you can kind of pledge to help support this brilliant project. Yeah, so yeah, basic book, signed book. We have got one edition called The Poet Master, which uh, I will come up with a, a bespoke limerick featuring the buyer and the show, linking them together for all these people who desperately wanted to appear on the show but didn't. This is like a version of that. Yeah. Uh, there's we're also uh, there's uh, levels that have a one-hour Zoom Q&A uh, with me and you and three of your mates, and you can ask me whatever you want. We can even have an online video games playing session. Uh, there's there's one of the top tiers is the best day ever master which is i will meet you 
outside what is now the Kempton pumping station, which was the location for Series 2, wearing some kind of red jacket. You'll take a photograph of us pretending to smoke cigarettes, because that's what we used to do outside it all the time during filming. We'll have a tour of the place, then I'll take you for a pint, and if Kempton Racecourse is open, I will put a £10 bet on the rudest named horse running that day in honour of all the Games Master double entendres, and I will give you the proceeds. So there's lots of fun things like that that they can do. And there's more, there's more rewards being released because we we funded the book on day one, which has almost never been done Amazing. for a book on Kickstarter. We were absolutely bowled over by the response. So because a lot of the rewards just went like that, we're adding new ones. We'll be doing that over the next remaining 20 days of the campaign. So there'll always be something new for people to, to try and get. Uh, we will tweet out the link as well so you can get involved. It's, it's a beautiful thing. I love the uh, – who designed the, 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 the GM logo? That, for me, is still iconic to this very day. Yes, it is. And what's interesting about the book is that is um, that's a very subtle modernization of that original logo. The graphics guys did it for series one and and we were very lucky to get the official rights for the book uh, yeah. from the rights holder. So that's allowed us to, to have this massive, bold Games Master M on the front in this kind of slight. Apparently, there's, there's there's lots of things to do with that logo that hardcore fans of the show will will be rewarded by, apparently, according to the <laughs> publisher, who's a bit more into font than I am <laughs> a bit more into fonts do you know from from your own perspective though like the, the things that I've been involved with in my life I'm always looking at the next thing and I, I don't take it in that much sometimes where, where I'm at and it's only when you look back at old photos that someone will thrust at you because I'm not very good at that I'm not very sentimental with things that I've done in the rear view mirror uh, is it been an amazing thing for you bearing in mind you're saying that the, the driving force behind this has been this super fan of Games Master. Has it been a good thing for you to look back and think, actually, hold on a minute, this was an amazing thing. Maybe you, you didn't, you, in your mind, did you credit it as much as it deserved in your past? Well, it's it's been interesting writing the book because uh, I, I'd, you know, it's a bit of a cliche that it, you didn't really live the 90s if you can remember it. And so the, there's a lot of it I've only remembered now where people will say, oh yeah, we did that in this um, this party in San Francisco with this Latino gang. And I'll say, no, we didn't. And they'll say, we did. Here's the photo. And I'll be like, oh my goodness. So there's, there's great periods of the actual show that I forgot, but it's it's fed into the rest of my career like brilliantly. I mean, when I did the, the uh, uh, XFM morning show in Scotland, uh, you know, everybody, the Arctic Monkeys were playing and it was their first big tour and everybody was outside the tour bus desperately trying to get on for an exclusive interview. And I was inside the bus with them, with Alex Turner begging me to play Street Fighter 2 with him. <laughs> and, and here in Canada, where I've been lucky enough to kind of have a, a second career in radio, every city I've worked in, there's pockets of British expats. So every day someone would phone up and they would just go, Games Master. And so the, all these Canadians would go, what is this thing? They, you know, yeah. so it's. Um, I've been very lucky, very lucky with it. I have a theory that that era has special resonance with with people to this day because uh, I think nowadays, as, as video games get more and more realistic and, and the graphics get better and better and better, your, your, your imagination has to do less work. Do you remember what it used to be like if you got a, a game for the BBC Electron or a Commodore sixty four? There was an amazing <laughs> picture on the front, and he stuck it in and actually played it, and it was like uh, it, it was like C-Fax, Do you know what I mean? So you had to do the rest with your imagination. Do you think that's why the, those games still kind of live on to these days? Now, where now nowadays you get a game, it's the flavor of the month one week, and next week everyone's forgotten about it. 
I think that's I think that's a really good point. I, I also think that what was great about those days was that um, you would buy a game, whether it was you know the Hobbit or Sensible Soccer on the Amiga, and it would actually be complete and it would be finished. But there's a horrible thing with video games today, yeah. and it happened with Keanu Reeves's uh, one that he did uh, Cyberpunk recently, where they release these things and they're all bugged and they're not finished because they're such big commercial behemoths with pressure. There's just a horrible cynicism where back then in, in the nineties and and the 80s you know there were genuine labors of love video games made by artists and and i think that's why we remember those games so fondly because they were like they were they were they were, they were like paintings they were like walks they were yeah. caravaggios you know they, were, they really were that special to us uh, do your kids play video games are they into that kind of stuff dominic Oh gosh, are they ever? Yeah, all, I have three kids and uh, all, all three of them play. And my son in particular, who is 16, we uh, have a, a very uh, jocular confrontational relationship because he likes completely different games than I do. I take the mick out of him because he spends hours playing things like Sea of Thieves, where he likes to pretend to be a pirate. And uh, whereas I am just hooked on FIFA and he's yes. just like, I'm like, why do you spend so much time trying to like make a bowl of soup in Skyrim, it's pointless. And he's like, Dad, you were shouting at what was probably some 12 year old kid in Brazil the other day because he beat you 2 1. So, uh, no, but we, we, we literally, our, our house bush, we've, we've always had about nine or 10 consoles spread out among every room in the house. Every single person in our house is a, is a gamer, except for the cat who might well play when we were asleep. I don't know. <laughs> Well, listen, it's an amazing thing. I would urge anyone, just have a little look at it on Kickstarter because the moment you start scrolling through, not only looking at the, the cover is beautiful, the, the, the sleeve of the book is an amazing thing, yeah, the artwork's great, but just looking through some of those photos of some of the, the madcap stuff of the early 90s is absolutely fantastic. So check that out on uh, Kickstarter right now, Games Master, The Oral History. Dominic Diamond, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Bush. Been great talking to you, pal. Radio. If you insist on listening to them in your own time, then we can't really stop you. Okay, let's get on with it then. The Home Time Podcast with Bush and Richie. Here's a question for you then for the second hour of tonight's show. Uh, is there a thing that you used to do as a kid that would baffle kids now? Like they wouldn't understand it. Do you know what I mean? Uh, it's a generational thing, I think. Sometimes you can't comprehend what the previous generation used to do and it was kind of considered normal for them. For example, I remember when I was a kid, my mum telling me about they had an outside loo when they were kids. And that was just normal, having an outside loo in Norris Green in Liverpool. But when I was a kid in the 80s, I was like, what? How on earth did that happen? It's like someone out of Angela's ashes. And weirdly enough, chatting to Dominic Diamond uh, earlier on in the last hour of the show about video games, we're just talking about having a loader game up on a, on a tape cassette for 20 minutes before you could actually play it on like a ZX Spectrum. I think actually the ZX Spectrum on one of the, the early computers used to have an actual cassette tape deck in it, which is a mad thing. If you nudge the wires, the whole thing would muck up and you'd have to load it all in again. Kids now must be like thinking this is something from a different planet. So have a little think about it. Think back to uh, your childhood. Is there anything that was going on where like kids now would be like, what the hell are you on about? Tripod man says fuzzy felt. Kids wouldn't believe how simple the pleasure would be. I don't know. It was a simple thing. You don't, you don't see fuzzy felt around these days, do you? Do you know what I mean? Maybe it's not going. Who knows? Usain says penny for the guy or returning empty pop bottles for 10p. Do people do penny of the guy? I feel like the, the standard and quality of penny for the guy has gone right down 
the, the loot to the point where I don't see it anymore now. Back in the day on Bonfire Night, you'd spend ages making, you know, stuffing pillows in tracky bottoms, putting shoes on it, drawing a face on a balloon. Now it's just a, it's just like a pillow with, with a pair of pants on, and they want £1.50 for it. It's outrageous. So have a think about it. What one thing that you used to do in your childhood would baffle kids these days? G says, using a biro to re-spool a cassette after the car stereo has chewed it up. I've done that many, many a time. I miss the whole tracking thing on a VHS. That's part of the joy of having um, an old video cassette recorder, really, was having a little play with the tracking and enhance the experience. It's almost like you were involved in the watching process. Uh, This text has come in saying, waiting for your mum to finish on the landline before you could connect to the internet. God bless the old dial-up. Talking to landlines as well. Kids now won't get won't get this, right? Back in the day, no WhatsApp. So if you were trying to do any courting, just to use a very current phrase, you would have to phone the landline and have a terrible, dead awkward conversation with your boyfriend or girlfriend's dad or mum before they went to go and get that person so you could chat to them. How awful was that? It was absolutely petrifying. Uh, some great stuff coming in. Uh, Mark from Sutton Ashfield says, jogging with your discman. Uh, it would skip and no pocket was big enough. I have to say, right, that the Discman was one of the worst inventions uh, ever. It just didn't work. Like he said there, you couldn't put it in any pockets because it was massive. And it just was so temperamental and would just jump non-stop. The whole point is being able to move around with the damn thing, not have to lie on the floor with it. It's absurd. It needed nursing the whole time. Stephen Ricelip says, All right, Bush, when I was a kid, I used to live on red sauce and brown sauce sarnies due to being quite poor. And I love this. I always used to view salad cream as exotic, so I never touched it. Kids don't know they were born these days. Yeah, that's a very good point. And hi to Toby, who says, this is honestly true. My kids didn't know how to wind the window down on my old banger of a car. They couldn't believe that's how we used to do it before lecky windows. Can you believe this kind of thing? Stephen from Liverpool is coming with one that is a really good point. He says, minding cars by football grounds for a few quid. Now, when I was growing up as a kid, that used to be a thing all the time that if you go and watch Everton play in Goodison Park... There would be kids on in, in tracky bottoms on BMXs offering to look after your car for a quid. Does that even happen anymore? I'm not entirely sure. We've got Carrie on the line. Carrie, what do you reckon? Oh, yeah, we were... Oh, God, you know, if everyone heard this now, it'd be so embarrassed. Um, we literally, we used to um, uh, play Knockdown Ginger, or whatever they call it now. Knockdown Ginger, yeah. I don't even think they play it anymore, obviously, current climate. Um but we used to play this because there was nothing else to do in the flats, as we do. We had to wait for the lamppost to come on before we came home for dinner because we just were like stray cats, <laughs> all of us. Um, these are the days where we used to um, accidentally use uh, white dog poo as chalk for hopscotch because we had no idea that it was chalk. This, this was wow. rock and roll in the 80s. And um, what, what, what area of the United Kingdom was this kind of stuff going on in the 80s? Um, I grew up in um, a place called Stoke Newington in London, in, in Clapton. Um, and that's where this was, in our, in our local housing estate. Do you know what? Um, one, of, one of my good friends is from Stoke Newington, and it's gone oh, dead really? kind of posh there now, hasn't it? Do you know what I mean? It, Back in the day, it, it was like yeah. salt of the earth people. Now it's all uh, it, like trendy sorts have moved in that way, haven't they? Yeah, it's quite, it's quite upper class now. And a coffee or a latte or a 10 different varieties of which would cost you an arm and a leg. Whereas back then, it was a bit more Derek Trotter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and probably better for it, I imagine. 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I've been here in Thurrock now for 20 years and haven't seen any kids play like this, so it's definitely changed. But, yeah, we um, there was one particular, bless her, this lady, I feel awful saying it now, but we did, we used to deliberately, because she used to moan at us so much if we walked past, if we played football, and we would get a, a roll of cotton that we'd have to nick from a biscuit tin from a nan or something, and uh, we'd sellotape it onto a letterbox and all the way, a good face. <laughs> 60, 70 foot away in the actual playground. Across the car park, we would yank <laughs> this bit of cotton and it would knock on a door and a dog would start barking and she'd come to the window and she would just look absolutely baffled. <laughs> and, and, and there'd be us sort of like almost wetting ourselves, but looking so sort of blissfully innocent. Um, but yeah, I don't think kids today would understand the joy of that. <laughs> Home Time Podcast with Bush and Richie. If you're listening, it's probably not home time anymore, but we can't be bothered to think of a new name. Absolute radio. Uh, so I just want to admit, I'm, I will admit to you, and I've admitted to this before on the show, that I am a board game geek. I love them. I do a weekly podcast about them. With latest episode actually out today called Bush's Board Game Thing. And I think they're great because it makes people switch their phones off, their devices off and sit around a table and engage with each other. So I think when I was a kid, my mum and dad used to try and make us sit around the table and have tea together, at the very least. But everyone would always end up arguing, like that Cara Lane uh, programme, Bread. But now I'd try and make people sit around and play a board game. The downside of this, and this goes for anyone who's got a hobby or an interest, is that I end up spending way too much of my time looking at board games on the internet or seeing the prices of them, checking them on eBay, watching unboxing videos. It's out of control and buying too many as well. So the reason I'm mentioning this is that one of them, a board game arrived for me this morning. And this is my plan normally, right? Because I've been warned by my other half, Katie, that I've got too many of them and I shouldn't buy any more. Uh, but my plan normally is if, if I've, I've got a game arriving that I've illicitly managed to buy, the plan is to get to the door before Katie answers it, sneak the box upstairs, really quickly remove it from his packaging, which kills me a little bit because I love unboxing things, taking things out of a box, but I haven't got time when you're trying to do it in a clandestine way. Recycle the packaging, but rip it up so it doesn't look like a box that a game's come in, and then hide the game somewhere in the house, like under a bed. Or I, there's one under my two-year-old daughter's cot, which is a disgrace, isn't it, really? Shouldn't be board games under there. Uh, and I just wanted to ask you, as a group, for a bit of advice, final hour of the show, is there a thing that you buy and shouldn't be buying that you hide from someone in your life? Fran has uh, tweeted to say she's currently hiding Easter eggs away at the moment, and she says you'll probably find one or two in the summer, I imagine. So look, is there something that you're a bit obsessed with, it's gone too far, and now you've started buying it and hiding things? Get in touch and be honest this evening. Estelle's just tweeted to say, pretty much every woman has been doing this exact same thing with almost everything they own their whole adult lives. Is that true, Estelle? Uh, I've been hiding board games non-stop. I'm getting some advice on it here. This one says, uh, this text says, I hide the board games I buy for my wife. I stow them at work. Good idea. As soon as I get back in the office, I'll have to find a little cubby hole somewhere and start hiding them. And Ria says on Twitter, uh, you just mentioned doing the the whole hiding thing. I, I do the same thing in my house. Luckily, most of my games are in a cupboard right near my front door. So the challenge is to get them in the cupboard as soon as I enter. Good work. If there's anything else that you uh, hide from your other half, I want to hear about it. Darren says, 70s horror film Blu-rays. When I first saw his tweet, I thought he said he was hiding a bit of blue. But it's Blu-rays. 
uh, and he's then given a, a uh, an example scenario. Oh no, love, I've had killer nun for ages. There you go. You have to lie about the fact that you've already had it. Uh, Paul says, Bush, I'm a keen runner. I have a running shoe fetish. I have to order the shoes to work, then wear them home, pretending they're the, the old ones that I've used before. There are shoes all over the place, and I've got a shoe cupboard full of them. I've had this message in as well from Tom in Hatfield. Bush, I have a serious problem with buying Lego sets. I never even build them. The missus has put a ban on them, but I've managed to sneak a few in by beating her to the door when the delivery guy arrives. I've got sets on pre-order, and I'm currently driving to London to collect the set that I bought on eBay. I also have the same problem with Panini football stickers. Do you know what? It's a good thing to have a passion in life, but I think, Tom, there, you might have taken it just slightly too far, but I love the fact that whilst this show's going out, you're driving to London to buy more on eBay. What an amazing thing. Vicky says it's wool. I just have to buy it. I got half made knitted things everywhere. When we moved house, I had three wardrobe boxes full, and yet still I buy more. Uh, Robin Devon says slot cars, scale electric. I have them hidden everywhere. Luckily, our postman knows <laughs> knows my problem, and he's very discreet. That's the dream, isn't it? But maybe giving him a fiver every so often just to keep him sweet. Uh, right, listen. I think we got Dom on the line to admit being guilty of this. Is that Dom? It is, mate. Yeah. How are you going? I'm good, man. I'm good. Good. Uh, I'm very intrigued by your uh, obsession that you keep buying and hiding from your other half. Please tell us about it. Yeah, well, I've I've collected for many years now. Um, model excavators, cranes, diggers, trucks, you name it. Uh, anything that you see on building sites. And um, what I do is I, because we've got children now and what have you, when I get them, um, I have to get them delivered to work. Yep. And they come in a secret package from work, and then I sneak them into the garage. They stay in the garage for a couple of weeks, and then the earliest opportunity when everybody's in bed, they sneak into the garage and put them up into the loft, and Fantastic. then no one knows any difference. It's like a four-stage plan then. You have to really plan ahead to be able to sneak it up to your top level in the house. Yes, yes, definitely yes, yes, without waking them up as well, yeah. Yeah. Do you know what, do you feel bad about it? I mean, I sometimes feel quite bad about it, and, I, and I've said to myself loads of times, right, that's it. I'm not buying any more now. I've got enough. I don't need any more. Brilliant. And then I just can't resist it. Yeah, I do. I go can't get any more now, and then one will come up into me into me radar or something, and, and I just go, oh, I haven't got that one, and that is like the, the proverbial rock and horse. And I thought, no, I need to get it. I need to get it. So I just I just get it. Fantastic. Dom, is is there a Grail, Holy Grail digger out there that you're still looking for at the moment? Um, there is. Yeah, there's a there's a company called Ains Cochrane Hire, and there's a big Ains Cochrane, and it's about six hundred pounds, and I just haven't seen one for a long time. So when that comes up, I'll probably try and get that. Yeah. Out of control, but I love it. <laughs> We're still on the lookout for a song, by the way, at the end of this uh, podcast. If you would be kind enough to donate a song that you've written or a thing, a little ditty, something you played on guitar, bongos, anything goes, uh, all you need to do is get in touch with us on email, hometimeandabsoluteradio.co.uk, and we will give you residency at the end of this Podtime product. You've been listening to The Hometime Show on Absolute Radio. When you go home, you've been listening to The Hometime Show. The, the last bit, bit of the no guarantee. guarantee. Soon, May, your tea will come. You can watch TV in your tracky bottoms. Until then, we'll play you songs and maybe send you a tea towel. The Hometime Show is about the Essex Loop. 
the bird invasion and I hate for Bing. The home time show we speak of pundit shoes and a lass called Leona. Soon may your tea, tea will come. come. You, you can, can watch TV in your tracky bottoms. bottoms. Until then we'll play you songs and maybe send you a tea towel.